I think the thing that is consistent is the importance of, of putting one's ear to the ground, trying to take in information from people without judgment, and then being willing to respond based on the things that you're hearing and the things that you're learning. Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Hey, welcome to the show. So glad that you can be with us here. Uh, getting into, gosh, we're already two-thirds of the way through season 14, and I am so, cannot tell you how excited I am to introduce you to our guest today. His name is Jermaine Hunter, and Jermaine is the Chief Diversity Officer for GE Aerospace, where he is responsible for establishing and leading the global enterprise-wide diversity, equity, and inclusion programs, strategy, and vision. Now, before joining GE Aerospace, Jermaine served as the Chief Diversity Executive and Talent Acquisition Leader for Marathon Petroleum. And prior to Marathon, Jermaine spent more than 20 years working in the consumer packaged goods industry across several general management assignments and began his work in the diversity space at the Clorox company, where he built a robust, fully integrated DEI playbook and was instrumental in doing all kinds of good things, crafting strategies and plans that significantly increased the representation of women and people of color across the company's global operations. Now let's talk education here for just a second. Jermaine has a master's, an MBA from the University of Chicago's Booth School of Business, a finance degree from Georgetown University, but possibly the most important uh, school that Jermaine went to in terms of our relationship was George Washington High School in Denver, Colorado, which is how Jermaine and I know each other. Jermaine, we went to school together and I am so glad to be able to welcome you on Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. Thanks for being here. Well, thank you, David. It is an absolute honor uh, to be able to spend a little bit of time with you, talk about some of my very favorite topics, and of course, um, really learn as, as, as well as share. Um, this is going to be a great, uh, great time we're going to be able to spend together. I'm, I'm super looking forward to it. And uh, I, I want to take you back, and this may take us back even farther than our earliest memories of, of one another back in high school. But uh, if you can think back to your earliest memory of yourself as a leader, what might that be? You know, David, that's a fantastic question. I, I, you know, I was really fortunate uh, to grow up in a, a wonderful family. I'm an only child, but was really surrounded from a very early age with, with lots of family. And, you know, I think my, my earliest leadership memories, and certainly my, my greatest leadership role models, um, role model came from my grandfather. You know, I um, was really blessed to be able to spend a lot of time with, with my grandfather, who was an elementary school uh, teacher and, and principal in Denver, Colorado. And those experiences really stand out in my mind because he was such a strong and quiet leader. He was the first person who really role modeled for me what it means to lead without being the loudest person in the room. Mm. He, he had an amazing ability to build consensus when people had really differing and divergent points of view. And he always was able to do so in a way that honored um, their humanity. 
And I had an appreciation for that at a very early age before I even had the words to be able to describe what he was doing. And so I think back on those early experiences um, almost on a weekly basis as I think about the work that I do today. Wow, what a fantastic role model to have from a leadership perspective. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, he was a teacher and a principal? He was, yeah, absolutely. Well, since, I mean, I know the city, what uh, what school was he principal? Yeah, so he, uh, he worked in the Denver Public School System. Um, he worked, uh, at the time that I was born, he was actually an assistant principal at Hamilton Middle School, a school that I had mm. the opportunity to, to attend many years later. Uh, he eventually became the principal at Maury Middle School, where he okay. spent probably the last decade of his uh, his career before retiring. Nice, nice. Yeah, very well acquainted with the school system. I'm a Denver, uh, as uh, obviously as are you, I'm a DPS grad, but also uh, my early career did uh, a, a number of years, decade and a half plus work in uh, working with a number of Denver uh, students and programs in 25 different Denver public schools. So well acquainted. So let's let's talk about that role modeling for just a minute. So those lessons of quiet leadership and emphasizing people's humanity and and bringing that to the fore. As you think back in in your own emerging leadership, what is an early memory for you of a chance to apply those where you saw, gosh, okay, I've seen that. Here's what I'm doing. I'm going to try to do that, or I'm going to try to emulate that, or I'm going to try to mm -hmm. use what I've learned. Yeah, you know, David, I can remember my very first professional um, experience to to lead formally. I was in my at that point early twenties when the organization that I was working for at the time, Procter and Gamble, um, gave me the opportunity to lead a team of about half a dozen um, sales professionals, spread out geographically across the United States, all of whom were very tenured much more tenured than myself and deeply experienced in their own particular areas of work. And I can remember consciously thinking when I received that assignment um, about the tone that I wanted to set and how I was going to go about trying to lead, and I use that word very loosely, this group of very tenured seasoned professionals. And um, I, I think back on that experience because it was another one of those just very lucky moments for me in that um, I was blessed to have a team of folks who were as interested in helping me learn <laughs> as they were in helping us accomplish a task. And they really helped me understand that in order to be at my very best as a leader, I had to figure out a way to add value to their experiences mm -hmm. that went beyond simply my position or my job title, or the words that showed up on my business card. And over the course of our time working together, you know, I think there were a couple of very specific things that I probably knew in the back of my mind, but learned very explicitly um, over those course of years. And, and the first one really is that, that for me to be a great leader, I had to first be a great listener. Um, I, I had to figure out what I could glean from their experiences, from their perceptions, from their view of the world, and then incorporate that into my vision rather than starting with some kind of dogma or perspective that I then tried to bequeath to other people. 
Mm-hmm. So, so in that moment, listening became really, really important. I, you know, I think the second thing that I learned from that experience working with that particular group of people was um, not just the importance, but the actual necessity of empathy and placing myself in the shoes of the people that I was privileged enough to lead. Um, I found very quickly that unless I understood the challenges that they were perceiving day in and day out, whether it be tied directly to their work or stemming from some experience that they were having in their lives, um, I I wasn't going to be able to be as effective in, in the things that I needed to accomplish as I would have hoped to be. So, you know, those were the some of those very early lessons that I took um, from my my earliest experiences in leadership and tried to apply it as I as I became um, a more formal people leader. Yes, and what a, a an amazing opportunity when you talk about an, a you know a new team that you're leading and the fact that they were willing to help you learn. Mm-hmm. That says to me, I mean, we talk to a lot of leaders on this show and obviously in the work that we do and you know, thousands and thousands of different managers to have a team that's willing to come alongside and work with you that way also tells me that you showed up with a fair amount of vulnerability, transparency, and a willingness to listen and not, as you said, just jump in with my own vision, but to really learn and put yourself in their shoes. So I don't think that's any accident that they were willing to help you learn. I think you showed up wanting to learn. Yeah, I would. I would certainly hope you're right. I, that was very much uh, my intention. Um, it was my intention at the time. It, frankly, still is my intention as I've moved on through my career and had you know larger, more expansive leadership experiences and, and responsibilities. You know, um, I I feel so fortunate. Again, going back to those very earliest days of my life. Um, to have always been in circumstances where I was exposed to people who were servant leaders, you know, whether it was, you know, my, my grandfather, um, whether it was our old speech and debate coach, Carolyn Williamson, who in a lot of ways um, I think about as, as a servant leader. Um, I, I was just very, very fortunate to have a lot of those role models early. And I've tried very hard to apply those lessons at every turn because I find that they continue to serve me well, even as my leadership um, responsibilities become larger and more complex. Yes. Well, let's take, let's go from those earliest memories to your current scenario. So a C-suite of a global, I mean, GE Aerospace, you're a global company and you're in charge of of programs and the the Mm -hmm. diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives. Uh, across a, a huge span. I, I can't imagine how how much responsibility that is in terms of all the different aspects and moving parts. And I want to take that that aspect that you were talking about earlier of listening, mm. because there's so much that you need to do. And now there are so many different people with whom you need to do it. And listening can become a challenge at scale. And so I'm curious how you have carried through that principle of listening and and you mentioned that you've continued to do it throughout your career and, and make those efforts. So what does that look like in your role to listen from a leadership perspective? Yeah, that's, that's a fantastic question, David. You know, what I would say is, and maybe I would frame it in terms of what has remained consistent from those earlier experiences and maybe what's a little bit different as I've moved into senior leadership. 
you know, I think the thing that is consistent is the importance of, of putting one's ear to the ground, trying to take in information from people without judgment, and then being willing to respond based on the things that you're hearing and the things that you're learning. I think that applies, it certainly applies in my earliest experiences, it applies to me today. I suspect that's a, a, um, a consistent enabler for just about any leader in any organization of, of any size. As I've moved into more senior org levels of the organization, I think the, the, the challenge becomes not just putting one's ear to the ground and listening, but then figuring out how you are able to separate the signal from the noise of all of those inputs. It's, it's, it's very easy to kind of tease out the threads of, 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 of an idea or to see themes when you're, you're engaging with a group of six sales leaders um, on a very small team. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're trying to accomplish that same task in an organization of, you know, 30 or 40 or 50,000 people, um, it just requires you to be really intentional about trying to categorize and understand the themes that are emerging from all of those different data points that you're gathering. So that's how I might begin to frame the difference between um, kind of listening and leading on a smaller scale and then doing the same thing on a, on a slightly larger scale. All right. I love that. So let's, uh, I'm going to tease this out even a little more because that, that aspect of, as you said, separating the signal from the noise of, and the, what are the meaningful data points here? And, you know, as I'm thinking about this and you talk in terms of the data, I'm thinking about, okay, there, there's a couple of things I might be looking for. This is me talking. I, I want to mm -hmm. uh, let you respond and see if I'm anywhere in the ballpark or how you actually go about doing this. Yeah. So first I might be looking for volume. Okay. So yeah, we've got 30,000 people in the organization and I am hearing this consistently and we're getting a lot of volume on this particular theme. So that might, mm -hmm. might be a, a thing I'm going to pay attention to. Then there are the low volume, but super high impact. So maybe I'm not hearing this a lot, but boy, the, the impact, the consequences, either good or bad of a particular theme or concept or, or voice that's coming out that might be so significant that even though it's small, I really need to pay attention. So those are the first two things I'm thinking about is either high volume or low volume, but high consequence. How do you, how do you actively go about finding that teasing that out in, in your work yeah well you know i'm i'm very fortunate in the sense that um you know an organization of the size that that i work in now and that i've, I've had the good fortune of working with over the last several decades of my career um, we gather a lot of data <laughs> we gather a lot of those um those information points largely through survey tools and mechanisms that allow us to aggregate input from thousands and thousands of people. And so that's the, the volume piece that I think you're touching on. And I use all of that data as a proxy for the voice of, of, of the organization or the voice of different constituencies or, or affinity groups within the organization. Uh, personally, after I've 
leveraged that kind of macro metadata to to formulate a certain number of, of points of view or hypotheses. I then try to marry that with personal touch points and points of view. You know, I as as a, as a leader in the organization, I've always tried to keep a list of for lack of better way of describing them, key influencers, thought leaders, people who I think just have their finger on the pulse of what's happening mm -hmm. inside of any organization that I, I'm working within. And I use more personal one-on-one -on -one touch points with those thought leaders to provide context and to either confirm or disprove some of those macro trends and, and hypotheses that I formulate by looking at the volume of data that that I'm fortunate enough to have access to. So it's both looking at the data and then I love that it's a very practical um, approach to making sure that you are maintaining relationships with p key influencers, key stakeholders, uh, thought leaders, people who have their finger on the pulse, as you said. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. And, you know, one of the other things that you touched on, I think, very um, astutely was the the potential for voices whose experiences might be extraordinary but not voluminous to somehow get lost. And so that's another reason why I try to always have a, a stable of very diverse individuals and perspectives and points of view that I can connect with, because that's the place that I go to to understand if there are those unspoken uh, but deeply held needs that might be worthy of exploring or addressing or um, doing more work to understand. And that's something that, I mean, every leader, you know, obviously, if you're, if you're a frontline leader and you're leading a team of three, four, five people, um, that's a little easier to do. You should be able to, and not every frontline leader does it, by the way, right? So you've got to be consciously asking. There's an intentionality behind what you're doing there of, I am actively going out and seeking and ensuring that I am hearing those things that might be unspoken. Yep. I, I think you're, you're absolutely, um, you're, you're spot on. But what I would also say um, maybe as a word of, of encouragement that I found is that developing those skills as a frontline leader, even at, at the earliest points of your leadership experience or the earliest points of your career, it's so valuable to get those reps in, in those early leadership experiences, because the capabilities that you develop in yourself will carry you to more senior roles um, and to opportunities to have greater impact beyond the the immediate group of people that uh, that you may find yourself leading. Boy, isn't that true? Absolutely. You know, we're talking with Jermaine Hunter. Jermaine is the uh, chief of the Diversity, Equity, Inclusion uh, Program Strategy and Vision for GE Aerospace, uh, in charge of all of those global initiatives. And uh, we've been talking about listening about. Uh, knowing your data you know, as a leader and specifically in that DEI perspective, but it's true for any aspect of your leadership, building the relationships you need with your key influence stakeholders, um, being able to confirm or not what the data is telling you and, and actively asking and all of the, the uh, all of those skills that you build as a frontline leader and the way that they uh, carry with you. And they're the foundation that you build as you're, you're moving into more senior roles. Uh, 
So Jermaine, I want to shift into um, talking more generally maybe about leadership and management from your perspective, because you have a, a broad career, you've been in a number of different organizations, and, uh, and you've seen it from all the different levels. I am curious, right now, what do you see as some of the biggest challenges that managers and leaders are facing these days um, within organizations? Yeah. So I will um, provide a couple of different perspectives on the challenges that I see leaders encountering. The first is around the increasing complexity of the world that we all find ourselves living within. Mm. If, if you or I, David, were to rewind the clock 20 or 30 or 40 years, I think the number of issues that we might encounter as leaders in an organization would be um, much more limited. Oftentimes, the workplaces that we found ourselves in were, were much more homogeneous. Oftentimes, a lot of the external influences, like family or society or um, political considerations, simply never made their way into the workplace. And so leaders today, I think, find themselves having to balance a much broader set of considerations and issues when they walk through the door in the morning than the comparable leaders of two or three generations ago. And so it is truly an unenviable task, in my opinion, to figure out how as a, a new or emerging leader, you balance this really complex set of considerations in trying to, to harness or, or get the best out of um, an organization that, that, that you have the opportunity to lead. You know, I think the second um, uh, challenge that leaders are facing today is really forming connections with people across organizations, because we are, I believe, m moving into an era in which leaders are going to be expected to have much more empathy much more connectivity with the folks that they're, um, they've been given the privilege of, of, of leading. And frankly, I think leaders are going to have to be much more in tune with those individuals in order to help them reach their fullest potential. And um, just as I said, managing the complexity of our, our current era is, is an unenviable task. At times, it's also unenviable having to think about how to really engage on a human way with such a multitude of folks in in this increasingly complex working environment those are <laughs> i mean that is heavy and it's so real i'm thinking about the uh, gallup data that just came out uh, i want to say two or three weeks ago that i think showed for the first time and there you know they've they've been collecting this data for for decades that the disengagement rate among managers was higher than employees for the first time in the history of their data. Uh, and reflecting exactly what you're talking about, the increased complexity of the workplace, the that challenge, that paradox of, I need to have more empathy than ever to be effective. And yet that's complicated by the stretch of global remote matrixed organizations when you're working for larger organizations. 
No, I, I, I think there's there's so much richness in in that Gallup poll. I'm I'm familiar with the piece of data that you're that you're referencing, and you know, uh, I, I think it's certainly no surprise to you, most likely not a surprise to many of the folks listening to the the podcast, that COVID has fundamentally reshaped individuals' relationship with work, their individual relationships with the organizations that they work for. And certainly their relationships with the people um, who are tasked with leading them. And so figuring out how we reestablish new norms and ways of working may be the single greatest leadership challenge that any of us may encounter over the arc of our careers. Mm -hmm. Really think that's true. We um, uh, we've got a new book coming out next May. It's available for pre-order now, listeners. Uh, powerful phrases for dealing with workplace conflict. And uh, in, in preparation for that book, we did a, our own research, did a 5,000 plus person um, uh, survey across uh, 46 different countries um, and still available. So we can get that to, to a higher number yet. And that exactly what you're talking about, that dynamic of the shifts in the workplace and figuring out in that period of upheaval and the way that the pandemic reshaped so many aspects uh, and, and with with it not being remotely figured out yet in terms of how we're working together. And and frankly, you know, some of what you're saying about some of these challenges uh, in terms of the need for more empathy, well, good, like we need to have more empathy. That's mm -hmm. a good challenge that we're facing or that the increased complexity of so many of the issues that now it's not that they didn't exist in the workplace before, it's that they were invisible or unheard or squelched. And so whoever you were, whatever background you're coming from, you weren't able to be who your full self in that context, whether you're a white male or a, a female person of color or anywhere in between, right? All the different ways we show up, you weren't able to be that fully thing. So that increased complexity is a good thing. It's not a bad thing, but learning how to deal with all of it, that's the work, right? No, I think you're 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 spot on there, David. And and you know, I guess what I would say maybe to add or, or to augment what you just articulated is that with every with every major challenge comes a major opportunity. I, I believe that we're on on the cusp of of seeing a new generation of of leaders emerge who are ultimately able to help people realize their potential by exploring parts of their being that previously went untapped, certainly in the workplace. Mm. And for leaders who are able to embrace that opportunity and who are able to really think about their own skills and capabilities in a maybe a, a more dynamic way than, than leaders of previous generations did, I think the sky is the limit. And um, I also think that that is going to enable people who previously might have gone unnoticed to ascend and emerge in organizations of all different shapes and sizes um, because the leadership requirements of tomorrow are going to be so much different than the leadership requirements of yesterday. And so it is an exciting time, challenging, complex, but also exciting and full of, of new opportunity. I love that. that. That is so optimistic. And I love the the focus on the opportunity. So as you're talking about that leader of tomorrow and the, the ways in which that leaders who show up that way are going to have to 
help people develop their fuller selves by tapping into to different aspects and and so on. I'm wondering if if we can get practical with that in some ways that you're seeing that happen. Um, as people are listening and thinking, oh gosh, I want to be that kind of leader. Jermaine, help me out. What What's one or, or two ways that you've seen that start to be exhibited in practice? Yeah, well, you know, I, I wish I could declare that, uh, that I've got this whole equation figured out, David, far from it. Um, but what I would say um, I have seen in, in practice um, and something that I try to embrace every day in my own work and many of my colleagues at, at GE embrace as well is a couple of very practical approaches. And the first one I think really is all about um, acting with humility. I think humility is a word that isn't um, talked about nearly enough in the context of, of, of work and professional environments the greatest leaders that I've ever experienced going all the way back to my grandfather are those who really truly embrace this notion that they are, um, <laughs> that they are imperfect and that um, they want to approach everyone in their orbit from a place of humility. Right. You know, the, the second thing that I would speak to in, in terms of really being a, a, a true next level leader is, is acting with transparency. Um, I, I think we've seen some really interesting um, conversations arising over the course of the last couple of days and weeks around what does it mean to lead people, lead large organizations, lead um, political bodies? How, do, how does that come together? And one of the themes that I'm hearing a lot is about the need for leaders to be transparent. Even when delivering messages that might be unpopular, even when engaging with folks who might have different points of view, I think there is a strength of leadership that emanates from the ability to share openly and honestly your ideas, your thoughts, your opinions, your points of view, your positions um, with those that you're coming into contact with. Um and then the last thing that I would say in, in terms of a, a real practical tip that, that certainly I think about and as do a number of the folks that I work with at GE is, is really being focused on, on delivering outcomes and being a technical expert in the field in which you are working. Because ultimately, while I think everyone longs to be led by an inspirational leader, there's always an element of, of core competence that has to accompany those what I'll call softer leadership skills and capabilities. Even if you are humble and even if you are able to move forward with transparency, if you lack the technical skills and expertise to help other people be successful in the things that they want to do, um, you'll never be a fully formed leader. And so that's how I think about it in a very, very, very simple way. The things that I would encourage anyone to think about as they try to become the best leader that they can possibly be. Such a valuable set there. Humility, transparency, and delivering outcomes, focusing on your technical expertise. Here at uh, Let's Grow Leaders and listeners of the show know we, we talk about landing in the end with uh, showing up with those internal values of confidence and uh, belief in yourself and your expertise and that knowledge of your strengths combined with the humility 
right? Mm -hmm. the, the willingness to listen, to, to be challenged in your thinking, to actively seek out, to take responsibility when you make a mistake, when you're wrong. And, uh, and then the fo combined focus of results and relationships, that there's a both and there. And if either of those goes lacking, we're not gonna be effective. So putting all of that together. I, I love this idea of transparency. Jermaine, that you're talking about. So you, you define transparency as the ability to share openly and honestly your views, perspectives, uh, thoughts, and, and or what's happening and, and so forth. Mm -hmm. I want to draw that one out a little bit because I can imagine listeners who are saying, okay, nice idea, but if I really share what I'm thinking with my team, they're not going to like it. Uh, I'm going to mm -hmm. get in trouble. Uh, you know, I can imagine someone saying that depending on what the, the topic is, what does, is, is that what we're talking about? And if it mm -hmm. is, is it a matter of how we're presenting it? Is it a matter of, are we also pairing that with sufficient empathy and, and listening so that we're starting with where I am and let's get a conversation going, or is it something else? No. I, so I, I think you hit the nail on the head in that the, the goal is to, in my opinion, as a leader, truly let people into the inner workings of your mind and to have visibility to the thoughts that are driving your behaviors as a leader. And I will freely acknowledge that that's often a very, very scary thing to do for people who are um, in leadership positions. It requires a degree of, of vulnerability that isn't often taught or talked about for people as they are taking on increasing responsibility in just about any kind of an organization. Mm -hmm. and, and yet what I have found in, in my own personal experiences is that the more risk I've been willing to take in sharing the, the inner sanctum of my thinking and sharing, as in, in some instances, um, my perspectives on what may be happening around us, the more those that I'm leading are willing to reciprocate. I, um, I, I just I think that oftentimes, as leaders, we think about this idea of transparency, and our first instinct is to perceive risk without weighing the potential benefits of transparency in the same way that we weigh the risk. Um, it's, it's, I think it's a bit of a, a mental fallacy that we work ourselves into. And I've worked really, really hard in, in just about every team that I have ever been privileged enough to lead um, to lean into the risk of, of being transparent in search of the benefits that you get from building stronger, tighter relationships with the people you're working with, giving them more knowledge and, and information and insight to be able to do their work or, or to make the contributions that they're looking to make. Um, and I've, I've not ever been disappointed. Now, perhaps I've, only, I've been lucky up to this point, but I've never been in a scenario in which the downsides of being transparent outweighed the benefits. I cannot tell you how beautiful that sentiment is. And listeners, I hope that you'll even, and I'm going to try to recap here, but if you'll go back and listen to that again, because Jermaine, what you're talking about there, 
that giving people visibility into the workings of your mind as a leader. Yes, incredibly scary. I mean, fa our book, Courageous Cultures, listeners are familiar with, like, that's the courage that we're talking about. That's the courage in courageous cultures is when leaders do exactly that and invite people into that conversation. Because if we don't have the conversation, if we don't give people that visibility, they can't influence us. We can't learn from them. Like, nothing can happen if somebody doesn't take that initiative. And that's a leader's job is to take that initiative. I, I was just uh, a couple of weeks ago having a, a coaching conversation with a leader who was in, having a challenge in, in their career and particularly issue with their managers and so on. And uh, th they wrote me back after the conversation, they took action. And I, I'm just going to read you the, the text message that they sent. Quote, just have the conversation going to get that tattooed on me. <laughs> the conversations were had went better than expected. I don't know what the outcomes are and what further holds it will, but it, uh, what the future holds, but it felt good to speak the words. It gives us a chance to move forward. That's, uh, I, I love that. I, I love that, that message. I love that sentiment. You know, I, I have found in my career that the most challenging conversations that um, I've ever been a part of um, are conversations that have to deal with my relationship to someone who's responsible for evaluating my performance or for whom I'm responsible in evaluating theirs. Mm -hmm. And that is, those are the moments maybe where transparency is hardest to achieve, but most rewarding if you can get there. Um, I, I'm sure many, many, many of us have had the experience of, of sitting down or asking for feedback or struggling with a task or a project and not knowing the way forward. And the greatest gift that I have ever received from, from my leaders has come in those moments when people were willing to really take the risk of sharing their true thoughts, even if they thought it would upset me even if they thought it would um, make me dislike them or think differently of them. Now, there is um, a little bit of an art to how we do that. And so, like so many other things that we encounter in our work and in our daily lives, you know, getting better at exercising that kind of transparency comes through practice. And I think one of the things that I would encourage anyone to do is not wait for those big moments, but even in those smaller moments, in the cracks of the day, in those more informal engagements that we have with coworkers or peers or leaders or, or direct reports, to practice being really open, vulnerable, and transparent because doing it in the easier moments will facilitate the ability to do it in the harder moments. Mm. It really is a muscle that you you work out. Gets yeah. better with practice. Wow, we're talking with Jermaine Hunter, Chief Diversity Officer at GE Aerospace, and this has been in such a an inspiring conversation, Jermaine. I am I'm I'm learning more and taking it deeper, and uh, but truly inspired by the the visibility into what you're thinking about and how you're thinking about these things. Um, if listeners would love to connect with you and go, okay, I got to learn more about Jermaine and I'd love to see what he's up to, where should we go? Yeah, the easiest way to connect with me, David, is is on LinkedIn. Um, to the best of my knowledge, there's not another Jermaine Hunter uh, out there on LinkedIn. It's Jermaine with a G. 
Um, and uh, I would invite anyone who is interested in, in connecting with me for any reason uh, to feel free to, to connect with me via LinkedIn. I, I love exploring ideas and learning about um, different approaches and work that's, that's happening broadly. And um, I'm happy, happy to engage with folks in that way. I encourage uh, everyone to take advantage of that. That's uh, that's not an offer that everyone makes. So we'll uh, also put the link uh, if you're driving or, or can't write that down right now. We'll make sure and get the link in the show notes. So that's Jermaine with a G ending with an E, Hunter uh, on LinkedIn. So Jermaine, uh, in the, the few minutes that we have left, I want to um, uh, take you to uh, the, the topic that I mentioned earlier for our next book, Powerful Phrases for Dealing with Workplace Conflict. And I am curious, um, what are some of the, if you had one or two specific phrases that you have found to be helpful uh, for yourself or for others when they're dealing with workplace conflict, um, do you have a, a, a favorite phrase or two that you might leave us with here as we wrap up? Well, um, that's a really interesting question, David, uh, that I'm not ever sure I've thought about consciously. I Many of my friends joke with me that I have all kinds of, of strange um, idioms and catchphrases that I use, but I've never never really thought about ones that specifically I use to diffuse conflict. What um, I, I would say is, uh, first and foremost, almost every um, interaction that I have, whether it's one of, of conflict or not conflict, um, I almost always end with, what can I do for you? Mm -hmm. I find that that is, um, and, and I ask that question very genuinely, um, and hopefully um, those who've worked with me would, would say that I'm always willing to follow up on whatever response I receive back. But I find that, that opening myself up to be in service of others does two things. One, it helps build a relationship with people that... Um, whether it's, again, folks who I work for, folks who work for me, or folks that are just in my orbit, it, it opens up the ability for us to relate to one another, maybe in a slightly different and, and more genuine way. The other thing that I do think it does is it sets a foundation for our next interaction. It allows me to help someone understand that um, my interest in them goes beyond a task and really is rooted in my desire to help them be successful. And um, I'd like to think that that helps me um, not only navigate moments of conflict, but hopefully to avoid moments of conflict um, because it sets a, a, a foundation for how I'll interact with people that is positive. Uh, what a fantastic practical phrase approach for everyone listening. What can I do for you and putting yourself in service to others? Um, it, that, that idea of centering them, that you're investing in them, that, that uh, you're, you desire for them to be successful. And I love the phrase that you use, that they are a human being beyond a task or beyond a role that they fill. And anything that we can do as leaders to fully humanify, if I can coin a phrase, another mm -hmm. person uh, is to our advantage and to theirs. I love it. Absolutely. All right. Our guest today, and I'm, I'm, you, you can hear the reluctance, the sadness in my voice because we are out of time, but our guest today has been Jermaine Hunter, the chief diversity officer for GE aerospace. 
And Jermaine has just given us so much wisdom today. We started off talking about listening and empathy and putting yourself in their shoes and how you actively listen and including listening at scale. Um, and then going out and actively seeking the voices and the, the things that you might not be hearing. The ability to build your leadership skills from this front line in the small ways and all the different aspects that you carry through into senior leadership. Uh, the challenges that we're facing in the workplace today as leaders and managers, increasing complexity, the need for more connection and empathy than ever, but across more complex, disconnected organizations than ever, and how we manage those through humility, transparency, and that focus on delivering outcomes uh, and being a technical expert. We have covered a lot of ground here. That wasn't all of it either, but so uh, finishing up with what can I do for you and putting yourself in service to others is a powerful phrase. Uh, not just for obviously for conflict, but as a leader uh, that you end every conversation with Jermaine. So thank you so much for sharing all this with us. I really appreciate it. No, it's been um, an absolute joy and a pleasure uh, to be with you. And I look forward to continuing to learn from you and all of the great work that you are doing, David. Well, I encourage everyone. Thank you, Jermaine. I encourage everyone to uh, connect with Jermaine Hunter on LinkedIn and uh, see what, he, what else he's getting up to because uh, uh, with all of these skills and all that he's doing in the world, we know that you're going to be making a, a continued difference, and we thank you for that. So listeners, I uh, encourage you to choose just one of the many different things that Jermaine has shared with us. Perhaps it's what can I do for you. Perhaps it's the, the act of listening or, or going out and seeking those voices that you might not be hearing, or the transparency of giving people visibility into the workings of your mind as a leader so that you can have the conversation. And whichever one of those you choose, it's going to help you to be the leader you'd want your boss to be. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.